0: You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Wise, Life as Gift, Not Gain. In this series from Ecclesiastes, we'll learn to see life as fundamentally a gift to receive and enjoy, not a hill to climb or a gain to achieve. This path of wisdom teaches us to live in the uncertainty and tensions of life under the sun.
1: of the Lord, from Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises, and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven, and you are here on earth, so let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to Him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry, and He might wipe out everything you have achieved. Talk is cheap, like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. This is the word of the Lord.
2: you You may be seated good morning sojourn peace be with you it's good to see you guys my name is jonah and i'm one of the pastors here at sojourn happy independence day anybody happy independence day Uh, i was thinking about it with bobby earlier this morning um i think one of the best ways if not the best way that we can enjoy and celebrate our freedom is by worshiping king jesus in freedom, openly, without fear of persecution or threat or danger. And so it feels appropriate that we would be here to celebrate King Jesus. Um, So thanks for being with us. Uh, Our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel, to build them up as Christ's church and to send them into the world to follow him in their daily lives. And we we get to see a sweet picture of that this morning. Um, Eric Foltz is about to come and preach for us. Uh, Eric and his wife, Ashley, uh, are on staff with crew Am I saying that right? There was a branding change a few years ago. I'm not going to say the old brand, but there's a branding change. So Eric and Ashley uh, oversee campus ministry efforts in Southern in the Kentucky Anna region. So U of L, IU, um, IUS. And uh, he's been, he and his wife have been here for four years or so. Eric spent the last year in our elder development process. So he's an elder candidate for us right now. Um, And they have a two-year-old named Annie. And there's a, a bit of a slight we made we made a bit of a mistake today today is not only july the fourth but it's also ashley's birthday and so happy birthday mrs Foltz. sorry that we have your husband preaching on your birthday um If you've ever been married to a preacher, you know that uh, the rest of the day usually doesn't go so well for the preacher. So sorry about that, Ashley, but thank you for your generosity towards us. Um, It's been sweet seeing Eric and Ashley grow and develop these last few years. They've served pretty much every way you can serve in our church, and uh, Eric is a gifted teacher and preacher, and so we're excited to bring him before you. So give a hand, welcome Eric Foltz to the stage with me.
0: Thank you for the intro, Jonah. I was really scared I was going to trip up those stairs on the way here. So I made it. Yeah, no, it is it is Ashley's birthday and I as I was getting ready to to come and preach, I just thought what would say happy birthday, baby better than listening to me talk for 25 minutes straight. So I thought it was a good gift. But Yeah, so this is my first time preaching here live. I did uh, I did give the recorded Ash Wednesday sermon this past Ash Wednesday and uh, that time they let me talk about death, and now I'm continuing on in this series talking about how life under the sun, apart from God, is meaningless. So I've been given some real upbeat topics, um, but no, I'm really happy to be here with you guys. And uh, just to jump to jump straight in and get kind of deep, kind of fast. But something that people who know me know about me is that uh, I don't come from a background of money, and. Uh, that's something that I had a really hard time with growing up. Uh, you know, all my friends lived in these nicer houses. I spent most of middle and high school in in low-income apartments. And, you know, I, I've really had a, a perspective shift, and I've grown a lot since then. But it was really hard for me. You know, there were many months where I didn't have my own bed, and I slept on a couch for, for periods of time straight. And in all honesty, I hated it. I really did. Again, I have had a a change in perspective, but I think it was the fact that I would see all these nicer things that my friends had, and I just wanted so badly to have what they had. To the point that I actually, I got arrested when I was 15 for shoplifting. So the pastors were probably like, dude, we should have vetted this guy a little better. Um, It wasn't actually for I wish it was for like, I stole a vintage record, but I took a pair of sandals from Elder Beerman at the Honey Creek Mall in Terre Haute, which is like the lamest thing you could get caught shoplifting, but it is what it is. And yeah, anyway, I, I just wanted the stuff that my friends had. So I was willing to, to even take from stores to have it. And at one point I lived in this uh, kind of cheap, rundown rental house that had chip paint all over. and. I was just really embarrassed to live there to the point that uh, when my best friend's mom would drop me off, I would actually have her pull in the alley behind the house next to me, which was much nicer. And I would tell her that that's where I lived. And, uh, you know, I, I would do that thing where I'd be like, oh, my key actually only works on the front door. So I'd walk around and then kind of wait and give her the thumbs up like, yeah, you're good to leave. And once she left, I'd come back and I'd cross the yard and go up the crumbling steps through my own broken front door into my actual house. So why did I do that? We work so hard to maintain an image that we're willing to lie and pretend. And you know where else we do that? Right here at church. That we, like mornings like today, we pass the peace to each other with smiles on our faces, but we have broken hearts in our chest. And we do that with God as well. As we give Him these long flowery prayers that are filled with, highlight reels of our lives. And we ask God to drop us off at the house next door because we're scared of what he'll think if he knew how we really lived. And it turns out that that's not new with us, that Solomon saw something similar in his day. So let's look at verses one through three. They say, as you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It's evil To make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth, so let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams, too many words make you a fool. So, first, Solomon's instructions are for when we enter the house of God. So, for him, you know, this obviously meant the temple place where you offer sacrifices, where you'd come for public worship. And for us, it certainly means the church, you know, where we hear the word preached and we fellowship with one another and we receive the Lord's Supper. But it also means anytime we approach God privately in prayer. And the New Testament tells us that we have access to God through Christ, that we can approach his throne of grace directly, that his spirit indwells us. So whether it's together like this on a Sunday morning or it's alone over a cup of joe, at our kitchen table, whenever you meet with God, Solomon gives you this instruction. Drop the act. He says, keep your ears open, but bite your tongue if it's going to lead you to try to fool God. So quit faking and close your lips. I feel like it's weird for me to keep talking at this point. Like I should probably just head out, stop talking. No, this doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to talk to him at all. Uh, He's not saying like, hey, introverts actually had it right all along. He wants us to experience this deep communion with him that we were made for. He just wants us to quit pretending when we come to him. He says, don't make rash promises. Don't be hasty in speaking. Don't mindlessly offer these things to God. Don't be overly active or overly wordy. Because when we do that stuff, we often say what we don't mean. A pretense is... An attempt to make something that isn't true seem true. And so God is saying, by all means, come to me, but drop the pretense. And we do it all the time. I mean, we play each other all the time. Someone asks us something like, hey, man, I'm having people over to help me move Saturday. You think you can help? And we're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to make it. But like we knew we weren't going the second they asked us. Or someone invites us to something on Facebook, and and we check maybe because we're trying to be nice, but we know that it's a no. Also for future reference, a Facebook yes is really a maybe, a maybe is actually a no, and a straight up no actually means I hate you.
2: So future (laughs) reference.
0: But more seriously, like someone asks us how you're doing and you say, yeah, yeah, I'm really good. But you've been struggling in your marriage or at work for months. That we live in this this image-obsessed culture where we post edited pictures and we display our trophies, but we don't tell people about our losses. And then we approach God like we're interviewing for a job, like we're ready to put spin on it and sell ourselves. We tell him these religious words that have a lot of eloquence and very little authenticity. Which is why, as James says, we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. That don't come to deceive God, but instead come to hear and be transformed by what he has for you. Because pretending doesn't work. It only keeps you from God. And that's why someone can spend their whole lives in church and feel like God is a total stranger. But when we take off our masks and we honestly open up our hearts before God and hear and experience his kindness, that does work. So I want to ask, how are you pretending before God? And We, we regurgitate these canned prayers day after day that, that have the right words but, but no meaning. We tell God what we think he wants to hear. We pretend to be farther along than we actually are. And there's this massive problem in our world too where we would rather look the part of a godly person than actually be one. And I know in a group that this size that there are people here who have things stuffed away under the floorboards of their life. And so I want to ask, what areas of your life are you trying to keep off limits from God? And I want to let you know that God would rather commune with you in honest silence than hear your noisy lies. Did you know that God would rather you sit still and hear him speak beautiful things over you in Jesus than have you try to put up some pretense trying to fool him. And so following Solomon's instructions here, to be honest, requires us to say what we mean, lay aside the pretenses. But it also requires us to be honest about what we do, to have our our character and our actions and our words all line up. And so let's look at verses four and six, four through six. They say, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin, and don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry, and he might wipe out everything you've achieved. So Solomon's instruction here is simple. If you make a promise to God, if you take a vow, make good on it. Do what you say you will do. And that is, in fact, so important to God that in Psalm 15, verse 4, he says that if a man takes an oath that would end up hurting him to have to keep, the righteous thing to do would be to keep it anyway, to stay true to your word. And so Solomon goes on to say it's actually better to not make any oaths at all. It's better to not make oaths than to make them and not fulfill them. Because fools make promises first and excuses later. That there shouldn't be this disconnect between what you say you'll do and what you actually do. But there often is. You know, we tell God things like, yeah, I'll give you my whole life. I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Well, I mean, not there. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then we go home and we, we Google the website. We, we swore we would never visit again. Or God, I, I will give away whatever you want me to give away. And then we withhold from him and his people like Ananias and Sapphira did in chapter 5 of Acts. And like them, the disconnect between what we say we'll do and what we actually do is displeasing to God. There's a song by John Foreman Uh, called Instead of a Show. And it's actually based on that uh, that Amos passage we read this morning. But the, the words say this. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your praise, the hypocrisy of your festivals. Away with your noisy worship, away with your noisy hymns. I stomp on my ears when you're singing them. I hate all your show. Instead, Let there be a flood of justice, an endless procession of righteous living. God is saying, I don't want the religious show. I don't want your fake praise. Don't lift your hands to me in worship when they're covered in blood. Take away the offerings and instead give me justice and integrity. Do what you'll say you'll do. God hates when we say one thing and we do another. And that's why Solomon says in verse 6 that if we make promises to God and His people and then we don't follow through, that makes God angry. And it's very likely that He will wipe out everything we try to accomplish by our deceit. Which is why the Lord Jesus, picking up on that theme of Solomon's in the Sermon on the Mount, says, instead, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, Solomon tells us not to make oaths because we, we might not fulfill them and that would make God angry. But that's not Jesus's reasoning here. He goes farther. He points to a matter of character that we shouldn't even need to make oaths. Now, honesty as integrity means that who we say we are and who we actually are, what we say we'll do and what we actually do, that it all lines up. I mean, we, we've all probably met someone that has such a poor track record of following through on what they say that we just don't believe them until they swear on it, right? It's like, ah, oh, peaky promise. And I noticed that this began to happen with Ashley and I a little bit in our marriage. So another thing about me is I love scaring people. I always have. I always will. I'm super easily scared, like, and I get really mad when I get scared. So it, it doesn't make any sense. But like, even as a little kid, if I knew mom was coming home from work, I'd hide behind the door or in the closet and I'd just wait to pop out at her. And there's one time I actually, I knew she was getting ready for bed, so I, I hid under her bed, and then I like, waited for her to fall asleep and started whispering her name, which I thought was hilarious. And then I poked my head out to see if she was moving, and she actually tried to get out and stepped in my face and broke my glasses. So I probably got what I deserved, but because I love to scare people, I brought that character trait into my marriage. And for some reason, still unbeknownst to me, Ashley didn't love being scared as much as I love to scare. So it's a great mystery of our marriage. Uh, but after a few months of marriage and of me doing this, she asked me to stop. And I was like, okay, you're right. I should stop. I'm sorry. And, but then I'd see, I'd get into this other moment where it's like, she's not looking like, oh, this is such a perfect opportunity. I really should do it again. And then I'd do it. And then she, she'd ask me to stop again. I'd be like, okay, no, no, seriously, this time, I swear. But eventually my continuing to scare her, even when I told her I wouldn't, made her lose trust in my word. And I have stopped scaring her, for the most part. Like, once in a blue moon, if it's like, I got to. But for the most part, I have stopped doing it. But this is the point. What does it say about a person's character, about the believability of their word, that a simple yes or no isn't sufficient from them? That they have to to swear on it. They have to make these grand promises in order for us to believe them. So why do we do this? Why? Do we say things to God that we don't mean why do we say that we will do things that we don't intend to do and on the surface I think it could be many things you know we want to please God and other people so we say what we think they want to hear we want to fit in we we're scared people won't like us if they find out what we're really like We want the status elevation that comes with being the guy or the girl that makes the big religious promises. You know, you get the the kid that goes to youth camp, and he's like, yeah, man, I'm going to be a missionary for the rest of my life. And he has no intentions of doing so, but he likes the way people look at him when he says it. You know, for me, I, I hid from my best friend and my best friend's mom because I was afraid of what they would think of me if they knew that I didn't have any money. And then that hiding made me even more afraid because now I've been lying. So what are they going to think if they find out I've been lying about the place I lived? And so the pretending becomes cyclical and it doesn't work. I mean, all the pretending, all the attempts to advance ourselves before God and other people, it comes from this heart that sees life under the sun as gain. That this religious show we put on becomes our way of trying to manipulate and control the world around us. But if you saw life as a gift instead of gain. This is the theme we've been talking about throughout this whole series. You could begin to enjoy the real intimacy with God that you pretend to have. I mean it's it's honestly crazy. Like we we pretend to be spiritually where we think we ought to be and then that pretending keeps us from being there. We skip real change into more godly people in exchange for the pretenses and the charades. But the irony is that if we actually stopped and were honest about our unspiritual desires before our loving God, He would transform us into the very people that we pretend to be. If we were to stop seeing life as gain, we could actually receive it as a free gift from God. And then like Pastor Travis said last week, we could live for us instead of me. Because when we see life as gain, I'm willing to say things that aren't true. I'm willing to use rash words and make empty promises, even if they'll hurt other people. But if we saw life as a gift, not something to wield for self-advancement, we would leverage our lives for the good of us. So ask yourself, where are you wanting to truly grow in your relationship with God? And then get honest. Get honest. Acknowledge that you're not where you've been pretending to be. Confess that pretense and then experience God's kindness and help as you pursue real growth. Because all that is actually possible when we fear God and see life as it truly is. Let's look at the last verse. Verse 7 says, Talk is cheap like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. So talk, whether it's that inauthentic speech of verses 1 through 3, or it's that disconnect between what we say we'll do and what we actually do in verses 4 through 6. It's cheap. And we see that over and over in this text. In verse 1, Solomon says it's evil. In verse 4, he says it's displeasing to God. In verse 6, he says God's probably going to wipe out what you try to accomplish by deceit. And he gives the alternative. It's to fear God. And the fear of God in the context of this passage looks like some of what we've already seen. That instead of talking at God in haste, open your ears and learn from him. Don't make promises to God and then not follow through. He wants authenticity and integrity. We can fear God and honor him by seeing life as it truly is and submitting to the way his world works. And Solomon gives the reason why back in verse 2. It's this After all, God is in heaven and you are on earth. So, God is, is high and holy and we're low and sinful, that He is infinite and He is the Creator and we are finite creatures. So, we honor Him. But there's something else that sticks out to me here too about this statement in the context of our passage. God being in heaven, the the indication being that he's omniscient, that he knows everything. That part of fearing God here, of seeing life as it really is, is realizing that God, like Jeremy said while he was up here, he sees right through our religious pretenses. The, the, The things we think are in secret are in fact known by God. We can't pull the wool over his eyes. You can't hoodwink God, that he knows what we're trying to hide from him. Psalm 139, the psalmist says, you know, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I, if I go into the middle of the ocean, even there you see me. That every thought you have, every action you've ever done, every word you've spoken, every feeling you've ever felt, God knows. He actually knows us better than we know ourselves because we don't often understand ourselves. I think of Paul in Romans 7 and like him. Sometimes I don't know why I do the things that I do. I I don't really understand why the words fall off my lips like they do or why I feel the way that I feel at times, but God does. You can fool everyone else. You can even fool yourself, but you cannot fool God. And friends, that is either an immense comfort or burden. Because if you're not truly following Jesus, Or if you say you are, but you're holding back part of your life from him, God knows. And if that is you, even if you spent your whole life hiding from him right here in church, he sees through the evil of your pretense. And whether in this life or the next, like Solomon says, everything you achieve by your deceit will be destroyed. And so I invite you to get honest with God and experience his kindness towards you, that he already knows and he invites you. Because for those who are in Christ, you're not just fully known by an omniscient God, but you're fully loved. That's the beauty of this text to me. Psalm 139 says that he knew all the days of your life before you'd ever lived one of them out. Every sin you would ever commit, every every lie you'd you'd ever tell a friend, every time you pretended, every day that would lead to the next, he knew. And still, Ephesians 1 says that before the world even began, God chose and loved his people in Christ, despite everything. And pastor and author Tim Keller has this quote. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but it's superficial to be known and not loved is our greatest fear but to be fully known and truly loved is what it means to be loved by god friends you can be honest about absolutely everything without pretense because god already knows and he has already washed it clean There is is nothing that you can bring to God that would surprise Him or that couldn't be washed in the blood of Jesus. And as we realize that and we take off the masks, we get to receive real life as a gift from God. And He will begin to transform us into the spiritual people that we pretend to be. So, how do we know? Because on the night he was betrayed, Jesus looked around a table at people like you and me. He looked at a friend who who promised, who took an oath, I'll never deny you, but whose actions spoke differently. And he he looked at another man who spoke rashly about being his friend who would go on to betray him. And a lot of other people whose actions didn't line up with their words. And still, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it, saying... This is my body, which was broken for you. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine and after giving thanks said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed by the shedding of my blood.
1: Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series, audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.